Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really amazing founder. You know, we're going to be talking about the good stuff that we like to hear, the building, scaling, financing. You know, in 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 the case of, of, of our founder today, you know, we're going to be talking about the fundraising process, how to navigate, you know, such a complex uh, process, thinking about product market fit, how in their case, you know, they went about validating their idea, how they came up with it. And then also building the company culture and why it makes sense to start at the leadership team. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Jody Shapiro. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Very, uh, very glad to be here. So originally from the Boston area where you grew up. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up there? <laughs> I was uh, I was very fortunate. I grew up in, uh, in one of the suburbs of uh, Boston. A lot of technology there, a lot of uh, software and hardware innovation. Um, I got exposed to to programming and coding when I was nine. Fell in love with it, and uh, and that's where my my journey began. Although uh, wanting always to be in Silicon Valley, where there is so much more happening, and eventually here we are. So, what got you into the whole world of computers? Because I mean, obviously, that's what you ended up studying too for undergrad. So, so what, what, what really developed? You know, made you develop that love for the world of computers and technology? Yeah, I was always, I was always that kid that was interested in building things, uh, both building things and taking things apart to understand uh, how they worked. And there's sort of a natural progression, I think, like a lot of uh, a lot of us um, shared experiences with you know, building blocks and Legos and all those kinds of things. And there's a, another version of my life where maybe I've become a mechanical engineer or something, something sort of engineering related. But once I found computers and, uh, and software, um, I was hooked. And so I was uh, very, very fortunate to know at a young age that I was going to go down the technology path. And uh, eventually you did a bunch of stints, you know, internships and, and, and you also worked for some companies, you know, you, you were at, for example, Microsoft where you did an internship, but eventually it sounds like doing the MBA, you know, was quite a pivotal moment uh, for you too, because that's also the time where you decided to uh, pack the bags as well and, and ended up, you know, uh, landing at Google. So how was yeah. that? How were those sequence of events like for you? Yeah, so um, it actually it, it kind of fits together in a, in a sense that um, uh, I had always been fairly entrepreneurial, and so at a young age was interested in the in the, um, in the building the technology side of things, but was also interested in um, uh, what I would call you know nowadays um, you know economics or sort of you know business model kind of things, and so I was interested in not just like how do things work mechanically or how do things work logically, but how do things work um, in a business world. And so I remember as a young kid um, asking my uh, asking my mother questions about uh, you know who sets the price of things in a in a supermarket. Why does you know cereal cost a certain certain amount and Clearly, there was a system. You know, somebody was doing analysis, and here's how that worked, or just understanding how how companies came to be. And so that interest was always there for me. And um, in the process of my career, building just incredible products and seeing their success, but also you know seeing things that uh, you would think would be amazing not always working out. So there being elements of 
market timing or you know, you have the right product, but not quite in the right market. And so that really, for me, fueled um, the interest um, you know, to go back and do my MBA. And I was fortunate uh, to be part of uh, Wharton, uh, the MBA program there. And it was just such a, a beautiful extension of being able to, to understand uh, pretty deeply business strategy, business fundamentals. And, um, and it was just a, a very, very important in terms of my larger career journey, moving from the engineering side into product management and then into general management. Absolutely. So then in Google, you know, you were there for close to nine years. What, what were some of the uh, lessons that you experienced? Because I mean, before you were on smaller companies too. So what were some of the biggest takeaways, you know, from working at an organization like Google? Because there you also shifted and you were part of, of different departments, two different roles. Uh, you ended up uh, be, becoming there the global head of Google Analytics Premium, which is a uh, Google Analytics 360. So I mean, it's that's a pretty big role. So how was that uh, for you? And what were some of the lessons from such a well-oiled and engineered operation like Google? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, so I think, I think um, when you're in environments where there's you know, really smart people, um, great cultures, there's, uh, there's just phenomenal uh, thing, you know, things to learn. Um, so both you should take from it and you put back into it. And for me in the Google context, um, there are two things that I think Google did extremely, extremely well. One was just attracting bright, bright people. Um, some of the smartest people I've ever worked with were my Google colleagues and kind of building that flywheel where it was an environment that great people wanted to work could do their best work, um, working with, you know, other brilliant colleagues, but also a culture, um, that was very, very people centric in terms of how do we not just attract the right people, but, you know, motivate them, um, you know, push them, challenge them and not just individually, but, but collectively. So there's a lot of elements of, of just the Google culture in terms of how the company operates, the management of, of Google. Um, a friend, uh, Laszlo Bach, has written a book uh, a few years back, Work Rules, that does a beautiful job of just encapsulating so many of those kinds of things. And when you bring kind of those two pieces together and add to it, I think Larry and Sergey get a lot of credit for this. You often hear about moonshots really challenging people and a lot of first principles kind of thinking to you know ask not just how do we make something a little bit better but like what it would look like massively better and to really find the assumptions the constraints that we all bake into things and break those down as you start asking questions like you know like what would we do if we you know for example could go and take you know satellite imagery and it was accessible to anyone, right? And that's where, you know, Google Maps kinds of things come from. Or, you know, what if we could photograph every, you know, from every street, um, every building, right? And you'd say, well, that, you start off thinking that's impossible. That would be, you know, I don't know how we do it operationally. That would be so much data. But that thinking that says, but what, if, but what if that wasn't the constraint? What would that unlock use cases wise? And so that, again, this culture of encouraging think big, think unconstrained, do something amazing. And Google just, just, consistently phenomenally did a really great job of that. And uh, it was part of why for me, I stayed for nine years. I had not intended to stay for nine years, um, but just just what, what an environment to be challenged and to grow in. So then in your case, you know, eventually in 2016 is where, you know, really the, the thought of, of now, you know, launching your own thing, you know, becoming an entrepreneur is where what ended up 
you know, like pushing you into what uh, became productive. So what would you say were those events that needed to unfold for you to all of a sudden see yourself, you know, with productive? Because, I mean, making that leap from such an amazing company like Google, you know, stable, you know, job, you know, uh, no risk, full certainty to like everything is uncertain. I mean, that's not an easy transition. It's it's true. Um, so I think in many, many ways, uh, as you say, Google provides so many resources, so much uh, just incredible structure, um, so many opportunities for greatness. And at the same time, it's still a large organization. So Google Analytics, about 70% of all websites running Google Analytics, we really you know, had the scale. We talk about having you know, a pulse on, on the web where by and large, every marketer uses Google Analytics. And, um, and as amazing as that, uh, as that is to work on sort of a global scale or industry scale product, I was really interested to go build one of those and to say, how do I take all the knowledge, the experiences that I've, that I've had in my career that I'd had at Google and kind of go say, let's go build something you know, of, of, of equal uh, equal scale, equal opportunity. And so I thought for, you know, for quite some time about which company I was going to go start. I explored a bunch of different ideas and, um, and the idea for productive, um, actually came together fairly quickly and, um, you know, and kind of said, here we go, locked in and, uh, started the company. So then how was that process of, you know, the idea, you know, validating, you know, the idea, making sure that it made sense before, obviously, now you had the framework and the structure of having play, of having been at a place like Google for nine years. So you knew, you know, how to how to go about, you know, this kind of like structure and framework. So walk us through what you needed to do in order to really bring something to market that you knew had legs. Yeah. So I think um, uh, this is something that I that I really take to heart is. Um, I think the flip side of environments that are incredibly, you know, uh, entrepreneurial and and encourage risk taking, and certainly, you know, Silicon Valley is just a as a you know innovation hub, entrepreneurial hub, not the only one in the world. Um, the really great thing is there's all kinds of people who have ideas of uh, you know imagine a world where dot dot dot, and that's very inspiring and get excited about things. But it but kind of what often goes hand in hand with that is a focus on a technology looking for looking for a solution to apply it to and sometimes that works well and you think you get lucky i think it's really important to actually do it the other way around to go look for a market go look for a pain point that is not being well solved and you can in that realm validate how big is this problem how common is this problem how people tried to solve it and you really have to be somewhat rigorous about the market research to really understand. Um, I took a very contrarian approach um, and, and thought about it as if, as if I were an investor, not just as a founder. And so, you know, asking the questions as much excited about something, but also trying to understand, you know, has anybody else tried to solve this? If they've been, you know, unsuccessful, why so? Um, is there something that's changed? And really, again, a very objective, critical eye on it. And through that process, the idea refines, you keep validating, you keep getting more and more due diligence. 
And that's what ultimately gave me the confidence to say, there is a market here. There is an opportunity. I can answer these questions about, you know, why hasn't this been solved? You can validate that there are people, you know, willing to willing to invest with you as design partners, willing to invest as early customers. And I just think that's a far, far better way to bring a new product to market, a new company to market, than to start, you know, off with a I have a solution, I'm looking for a problem. So I guess now, you know, with productive for the people that are listening to get it, what ended up being the business model? How do you guys make money? Yeah, so we're we're an enterprise uh, enterprise software platform. So it's a it's a SaaS business model. Um, uh, we wind up uh, we wind up focusing on on the kinds of problems that um, uh, medium and large organizations have. And um, you can think about it. You know, our our sort of um, our commercial model is very similar to you know how you would go and you know and buy um, you know whether it's Salesforce or any of these other uh, you know, enterprise SaaS tools and. Um, and so there are, you know, there's, there's real money that's being uh, allocated, um, meaning, you know, our, our deal sizes, I mean, these are, these are deals in the you know, tens of thousands of dollars per year, hundreds of thousands, um, you know, and, and higher. And so there's a real thought process that a buyer goes through in terms of selecting, you know, uh, selecting a vendor, um, you know, uh, articulating the problem, being clear on how they're going to realize value. And so you could think of this as, classic enterprise go-to-market motion. So also, you know, in this regard for the business, how have you guys gone about the fundraising journey? And I guess before even that, how much capital have you guys raised to date? Yes, we've raised $73 million uh, to date across three funding rounds. So uh, the history is that company got started. We raised a series A from Excel, and then we wound up raising our series B from Norwest and then eventually a Series C from IVP. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. And then when it comes to the fundraising process and navigating, you know, the process and, and even, even, even bigger than that, navigating all the different financing cycles that you've done. What have yeah. you learned 
And what can you share with the audience that we have right now listening that perhaps are behind the trenches and thinking about also, you know, having a very effective and streamlined process? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think the I think the most important thing that you've always got to remember is that, you know, financing, fundraising um, is itself not the goal. It, it's an enabler. Right. It's somebody who is agreeing with the larger vision that you've got, somebody who's agreeing with you know, the strategic direction and is buying a piece of the, of the company in terms of that future outcome. So um, sometimes I think people get a little bit too caught up in my goal is fundraising or my goal is to maximize evaluation or maximize some other metric or, you know, I just want to be able to say that so and so is an investor in my company. You really got to come back and remember that they are. They're partners with you in terms of of they are aligned, but you've got to get the you know you've got to get the you know, pick the market correctly. You've got to build the business strategy, the product strategy, the pricing strategy. I mean, every element of these kinds of things, and so therefore, it's really important who are you bringing on that journey. And in good scenarios, you've got an incredible set of investors. You have a very powerful board that is able to help you. Right, augment could be other perspectives, could be experience, it could be help with you know, recruiting, could be help with fundraising, any number of things, and that's really what is is so important because you know after the fundraising process is done, you know the term sheets are all signed, the you know, money is in the bank, the cap table is updated. Now we get to work, right? And now the question is, the investor, you know, the first one you bring on, the second, the third, right? they're part of this journey with you and building that company. And it's so, so important to think about who is that individual? What do they bring to the table? What is the chemistry that you have with them? You know, can you work with them? Can you partner with them? And I've seen people make mistakes where they can optimize for you know, some other criteria and then things get really hard. Um, and conversely, my approach consistently was, I wanna work with the best people as, as the investors. and getting to know those investors, not just at time of fundraising, but well in advance, right? So without the, without the crucible of, of we're in a fundraising process, you start building those relationships earlier and you start to understand, you know, how well do we work together? Do they really understand your business? Do they have good input perspective? And so that was pretty critical for me through, through each of my funding rounds was building those relationships early. Um, and then the fundraising processes wound up going not only smoothly, but um, were far more insightful in terms of what makes sense as we put together a round. Now, once you've land the investors, then it becomes, you know, more the relationship, the dynamics, you know, of corporate governance and, and the board as well. What have you taken out, you know, away from, from this experience too? Because, I mean, you have very sophisticated investors, um, you know, venture capital firms. So what are those dynamics like to make sure that you have a healthy, you know, uh, relationship with board members and that the dynamics, you know, are very much aligned and, 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 and for the good of the company too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of goes back to this core of, you know, like, like, why are they interested in investing in the company? What, you know, what is their thesis? Um, and how much of that aligns to how you're thinking about things? And at the same time, to be open to those other experiences. So what it's looked like for me is that in each of these uh, funding rounds, as I added a new board member, I was just overjoyed. Um, really experienced people, 
who have good business acumen, who have seen a number of other companies on their journeys. And so to be thought partners, um, to really be, um, you know, roll up the sleeves, kind of like, uh, I ask for help, they're there. They'll challenge, they'll challenge thinking, they'll challenge um, uh, uh, decisions in a constructive way where we've really built a very powerful relationship where the trust goes in both directions. And I think in, in any organization and any relationship, trust is at the, is at the foundational level. And so when it's there, um, better ideas come, right? And so it could be, hey, we're thinking about going into a new market segment. You know, they have a perspective on that. Um, what might it look like? How should we think about that? What are some of the things to be careful of? And when you've got a board with multiple investors, they each bring their own experiences, their own you know, perspectives to date. And you get, you get a more richly textured conversation discussion. And if you've got a good board that winds up being, um, uh, uh, a cumulative thing, like together there's this, there's this, uh, greatness, there's this fabric of how are we. Um, how are we build on this company for the long run? Other situations, right? If people are not really thinking about how do you build your board, you can wind up with dysfunction, um, right? Somebody who's very, you know, risk averse versus somebody who's very risk seeking. Somebody who's like, you know, I think we should go, you know, SMB into the market. Somebody else, I know, I think we should go large enterprise into the market. And you know, and if, if these things become very difficult if you're not able to communicate and collaborate and, and decide. So obviously this needs to align too with culture uh, and culture starts at the leadership uh, team to make sure that everyone too is dancing the same song with the same moves, no? with the same values. So how have you guys gone about that? Yeah. So I think that this, um, this element of culture really uh, for me personally hit home in, in two ways. Um, so one, um, Worked in in you know multiple large organizations before. Um, one of the things I really loved about some of the startup experiences in my past was just the collaborativeness. Like we're small group of people intentionally coming together to do something day to day. Startups are really really hard. There are there are far easier jobs that you know pay much better that have you know much less risk on them. So like you really have to be somebody who's seeking out a startup, and then when you're there. To be able to come together and and just work really well together, and something that is is so important in terms of just you know cultures of of, of high performing teams. The other element for me was the Google experience and just seeing the strength and power of that culture, in terms of of self reinforcing you know the good things, um, creating the environment for greatness. And so when coming and starting productive. Um, I have two co-founders. So we talked about I had had experience at, at Google. One of my uh, other co-founders had um, quite a number of years at, at LinkedIn, another company with a great culture. Uh, other co-founder experiences at, at Microsoft and Amazon and eBay. And these are all great companies in their own right. And yet their cultures are very different. And so one of the things that we did before we hired anybody was we really spent some quality time saying, what do we want our culture to be? What are our values? Um, and to figure that out early and you know, have the debate when it was just the three of us so that as we started to hire, as we started to build our norms, um, 
it was consistent, right? That there that there were these pillars. In fact, if you if you were to walk through our Palo Alto office, um, these values are prominently displayed all around. They're on our you know on our website as well, um, and it becomes these kinds of things where you can um, short circuit through a debate or or difficult decision when it's kind of clear what is the value that's at play and are we in alignment with it or are we in conflict with it. So building culture being super super important i thought about that in the in the world of building the leadership team i thought about that in the context of of hiring people in the context of like how do we as a company make decisions how do we how do we you know move together and it also extends you know from the fundraising standpoint you want investors again who are going to bring something new to the table but that are also culturally compatible with the company so then so then for this too i mean if you were to you know, as we're thinking about the vision too, because I mean, you rally obviously the employees and and the investors too are on the vision. So, if you were to go to sleep tonight, and you wake up in a world where the vision of productive is fully realized, what does that world look like? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think about that in in, in kind of a couple of lenses. Um, you know, one lens is is a business lens of you know, just success of the company, meaning. Um, we have uh, we have established ourselves as one of those massive platform companies that you know every organization relies upon in, term, in terms of being able to do their work. So, um, what I mean by that is, you know, if you go if you were to go to um, you know any chief revenue officer and say to them, "We're going to take away Salesforce," they would say, "You can't do that. Like this is the system by which we." We operate off of that we collaborate on this is like how we understand the core revenue function of the business if you were to go to the engineering organization say we're going to take away github they'd say you can't do that this is how we collaborate this is how we work together right each of these functional areas has these core systems and it's one of those things that like you know every company that has a sales team has a need for you know crm type of software productive we're really tackling this larger problem that all these organizations have a huge number of SaaS applications in each one of them. So it's just under 400 applications uh, uh, in a given organization. Some of our larger customers have thousands of SaaS applications. The original thesis of the company was observing that these portfolios were getting larger and larger and larger in spend, in number of applications, in the fact that everybody in the company is buying software, renewing software. And so this real question of like, what are we getting value out of? What do we need? What makes sense for us? Because you know, organically, everybody's sort of deciding for themselves doesn't work. It has risk problems. It has uh, uh, spend and efficiency problems. You needed data for this. You needed workflows to be able to make decisions of like what is actually delivering value for us, application by application, but also sets of applications. And that's the kind of problem that if you think about it as an organization, you're going to have. Uh, a continuing and growing set of all this software. We've got to be in a situation where we understand who's using what, how are they using it, which features are being used, what are we paying for, and have we overpurchased, underpurchased? How do we realize value at all? And so the long term looks like every company is using Productive to manage all of the software, all of the spend in the organization. They're relying on us for all of these workflows, they're relying on our data. Um, there's AI functionality that also helps in terms of understanding why you ask questions of all these kinds of things. So that's on the business side of it. 
but also on the people side of it. I'm very proud of the team that we have. I'm very proud of the culture that we built and where we're going. And I really think that there's something where you know, being able to look back and say, what's happened to all the people that have been part of our larger community? So the employees within the company, in terms of being exposed to you know, being challenged and exposed to new skill development, career growth, those kinds of things, but also the community of all the customers, all the partners, right? Have we been effective in making all those people's lives better? And if we wind up you know, being successful at all three of those things, I'll be pretty proud. That's amazing. Now, I want to talk about the past, but doing so with a lens of reflection. So let's say, you know, I'm able to bring you back in time, you know, maybe to that moment, you know, back in 2016, where you were thinking about there at your desk in Google, about a world where you could bring a company of your own to life. And let's yeah. say you have the opportunity of sitting down next to that Jody, maybe in, in the cafeteria where you get all the free snacks. And, uh, and basically you're able to give that younger Jody one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Yeah, I think um, I think the piece of advice would be, um, uh, and 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 this is you know both very direct in terms of my experience, but also it's advice that I that I think is relevant for for you know, for anybody kind of embarking on something big, is your opportunity cost is really high as an individual. So you know um, the way the way you know I operate, I think a lot of other people, uh, yourself included, do is. We work really hard at things. We push, we kind of give everything we've got. And so given how hard you're going to work at something, you really want it to be something that you feel like you can be successful at. And because you're going to be giving everything you've got, there's a high opportunity cost because you're not doing other kinds of things. And so even though I'd been thinking for a period of time at Google about going and starting a company and you know that's the next chapter, I was very thoughtful about the opportunity cost. Of you know, am I ready to leave Google? Have I you know finished what I set up to achieve? When I go start a company, which company am I going to go start? Which problem area? And um, and to really again kind of challenge to say, in my case, the intent was to go build something massive, which means it's going to take at least ten years to go do. So, what do I need to believe? Not just hope for, but what do I need to believe? And how have I validated it? such that I'm willing to place that level of investment. This is the thing I'm going to go spend the next 10 plus years doing. And sometimes it gets easy to, to jump over that, right? We get excited about technology. I think in you know current, uh, current times, there's a lot of really interesting things happening with artificial intelligence and generative AI. And you know, there's, no, uh, there's no conversation short of those kinds of topics. And there's going to be some incredible companies that are built. But success looks like slow down and really right so do the homework do the research get that level of conviction um and you know act with act with intent and you know strategic thinking versus from a fomo mentality of you know like you know i've got to get in here i've got to go do something because the throwing spaghetti at the wall of product ideas of go-to-market ideas is a pretty low hit rate doesn't say it never happens but I, I will always bet on somebody who's who's really being thoughtful about what are those next, not just move, but moves plural. And you know that would be that would be my advice. Um, you know, bet, but bet strategically. I love it. So, Jody, for the people that are listening, that would love to reach out and say hi. What is the best way for them to do so? 
Uh, best way is on is on LinkedIn. You can find me. Uh, you can find me there. There's not uh, not too many Jody Shapiro's, and I will try to respond. Incredible, Jody. Well, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.